Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the First Minister's meeting is postponed as the Prime Minister's wife tests positive for the coronavirus. I'm sure I speak for all members when I uh, convey our best wishes to the Prime Minister and his wife and any other parliamentarians who may be affected uh, by symptoms and wish him a speedy and her a speedy recovery. The Conservatives criticize the government's response to the coronavirus. We certainly think that there's still a lot of unanswered questions that Canadians will have about the, the entire uh, coronavirus and, and what, it, what it means for Canadians, which uh, are still being unanswered. So we're still uh, looking for a seat at that, uh, that table and hoping that uh, the Prime Minister will allow us to be part of the conversations. And several Conservative leadership candidates suspend their public campaign events. It matters a lot that leadership candidates get out and meet party members. People join parties just to support a leader or, or to get involved in a leadership campaign. It's Friday, March the 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So the news broke late last night that the Prime Minister's wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, has tested positive for coronavirus. The Prime Minister has no symptoms, but he is in self-isolation with his family as a precaution. And because of that, the First Minister's meeting yesterday uh, was postponed. So uh, this is, uh, there are so many different angles to this story that demonstrate just how significant this crisis is. But now we have a member of the Prime Minister's family who has tested positive. That is a real demonstration, isn't it, of how much this has hit home in Canada? Well, exactly. And it's, you know, the the Trudeaus are healthy young people uh, with access to the best medical care in the world. Uh, so there's no real reason to, for their safety or for their lives. However, if people like uh, the Trudeaus, if, if Sophie Gregoire Trudeau can fall ill uh, and be exposed to this, that means everybody can. Uh, you know, people who live in the, you know, security bubble that the Prime Minister and his family live in are protected from just about every threat you can imagine. And yet this, uh, this virus uh, found its way through all of that. And, uh, and Madame Trudeau now has that, uh, has it. So, you know, this, this is a, dis- uh, you know, it's an unsettling message to send out to people who know full well how vulnerable they are. And if they didn't before that, they do now. Absolutely. And uh, it's just interesting to see how rapidly things are moving. We went from a first minister's meeting where the response to the coronavirus would have been on the agenda to it being the agenda to the meeting being postponed because the prime minister couldn't attend due to coronavirus. That all happened in the space of a few days, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, first minister's meetings, uh, are not always imbued with profound significance, but I do think that it would have been useful had they been able to go ahead with it to meet uh, together uh, to thrash out a, an overall, you know, response to the virus and its spread and, and how to cope with it in, in the healthcare system, particularly, that, which I think is, is going to emerge as the crucial issue in this whole affair is, uh, you know, are there enough beds? Are there enough critical care beds? Are there, do we have enough? healthy uh, hospital professionals and healthcare professionals. Um, those are, are worrisome things. And I think we've seen in other countries, although, you know, it's hard to get the full picture, but in places like Iran and Italy, where the number of cases exploded so fast that uh, it, it swamped the healthcare system. 
And uh, then it be, does become really dangerous even for otherwise healthy, healthy people uh, because if the hospitals can't cope, then, uh, then it's trouble for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, they can't ignore the economic impact of this as well, which we're still really just trying to figure out. It's, uh, you know, the stock market's been pummeled. Uh, interest rates are already at an all-time or uh, near an all-time low. So it's, it's really hard to know which way governments are going to be able to go to cope with it on the economic side as well. Yeah, and that's a big question, obviously. Uh, we're expecting to hear from Bill Morneau today. There's a budget coming in a couple of weeks, which is a long time from now in this storyline. Uh, but the Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, said the government is ready to introduce a, a national economic stimulus package. So do you expect that the government is going to try to uh, to kind of revive the economy with some stimulus? Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, you know, that... Uh, you know, they could be talking some fairly big dollars. Uh, yesterday, Jason Kenney, uh, the Premier of Alberta, was talking about $20 billion. Um, I don't think it would even stop there, frankly, Mark. Uh, it could go beyond that. I mean, there, there are going to be impacts on employment uh, and right across the board of the whole economic uh, spectrum. So um, the, the question is how to do it wisely and how to get the most impact for the public money that is spent. Uh, but, you know, on the on the economic side and the financial side, you know, we're seeing comparisons to 2008 and 2009 uh, during the financial crisis then. And, uh, you know, the federal government had to do extraordinary things, you know, had to bail out GM and, uh, you know, big companies. So um, it's still not clear how that's going to fall out. But, um, but you know, it, it, it's clear that there is going to be the need for a major and significant economic stimulus package. Uh, and, and how they're going to roll out a budget, if it's not even clear whether Parliament will be able to sit. Uh, you know, I guess that's a few weeks down the road, but that's one of those complications that ordinarily you don't doesn't even come into the equation. No one had to worry about that in 2008. You put Parliament together and you went to work, but uh, now it's uh, it's not going to be that simple. Yeah, Parliament uh, uh, could could be suspended. Members of Parliament are considering taking that kind of action. There will be some discussion of that. We expect today. Um, meanwhile, uh, there's another. Uh, angle to this that I think is worth exploring. Uh, we've learned that some conservative leadership candidates, including Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole, have suspended their campaigns. They're not going to appear at public events as a precaution. Um, so I'm interested in your thoughts on that. At the same time, the conservatives have been critical of the government's response to the coronavirus. There have been messages from the leader of the opposition, Andrew Scheer. There have been messages on social media from some conservative MPs. And others have responded to that by saying, this isn't a time to score political points. So what do you make of all of that? Well, on the, on the first part, you know, uh, this type of the suspending the campaigns and the traveling and the per, uh, person-to-person meetings, that does damage leadership candidates in the political party race. Uh, maybe even more so than in a general uh, election, because it, it matters a lot uh, that leadership candidates get out and, and meet people, meet party members. Uh, people join parties just to support a leader or, or to get involved in a leadership campaign. And that person-to-person contact, I think, is really important. You get to size up the individual and see if there's someone you want to support as a, as a leadership uh, figure. Um, so that's an issue. 
Uh, on the second part, I mean, I saw um, some social media yesterday from Aaron O'Toole, one of the leadership candidates, saying that Trudeau has no plan and that his, you know, this is a disaster. The handling of the coronavirus is a disaster. I, I don't think many Canadians agree with that. I think there's there's always going to be questions uh, about how these things are handled. But uh, for the most part, I think the Canadian government is leaving things to the healthcare professionals and the experts and letting them guide the policy process. Now, the Conservatives are focusing on the borders. And I noticed Maxime Bernier also was talking about that yesterday. But everything can't be about letting immigrants and refugees in. It, there have to be other dimensions to public policy. And uh, I don't personally think it's particularly helpful to have people firing off political rockets in the middle of what's a nonpartisan virus-inspired uh, crisis. There are uh, many events, uh, many activities that have been cancelled as a result of this, uh, not just the First Minister's meeting, of course, uh, but uh, al- almost all major professional sports leagues have been affected by this. In Ontario, uh, school has been suspended. The students are going to go to school today, but then next week is the March break, and already uh, the government has said there won't be school for two weeks following the March break. Perhaps that will be extended, depending on where we're at at that time. Uh, is there anything else that you think we should be watching for in the days ahead about the impact of this virus? Well, you know, it's going to hamper, if not cripple, many, many types of, of, uh, of public services. I mean, everything from policing, uh, border security, um, you know, there, there's MPs this week are warning that the, the Russians are mucking about, uh, you know, trying to interfere in the Canadian political setup. Um, you know, every aspect of these things, even to economic management and planning, uh, these are all going to be hampered if, if you can't get people together to work in their normal fashion. Now, you know, in 2020, we have the Internet and all the other uh, you know, digital forms of communication that we can take, uh, take advantage of. But at the same time, it, it, there are going to be gaps. And, I mean, some of these things are, are very important, you know, food safety and things like that that you just can't ignore because there are external issues uh, impinging on it. So, I mean, schools are an obvious place that have to, you know, that they have to take measures. I mean, you can't keep kids penned up in rooms together when when some of them might uh, have the virus and be infectious. So um, that's a sensible, I think, uh, precaution. But right again there, that's going to disrupt the lives of, of literally millions of families and uh, if, it, if it spreads across the country, it will disrupt the lives of millions. And, and these are unpredictable disruptions uh, with unpredictable results uh, right across the board. So, uh, you know, Mark, again, you know, we're really at the start of this, not at the yeah. end. And uh, it's, it's impossible. I can't think of another. I've been covering the news for 40 years. I can't think of another time where we've had such a fluid and fully unpredictable uh, sequence of events the way they're happening right now here and around the world. All right. We'll see where this brings us today and through the weekend. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks for the call. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. We are stepping it up right now. It's, it's important to remember that there's not a trigger point that's going to necessarily change uh, dramatically what we do. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues Canadians are undergoing a great awakening as we suddenly realize the world has changed. Iveson writes, Even without clear direction from the government, 
Canadians have put themselves on a war footing. Collectively, we seem to have come around to the idea that this is the greatest public health crisis this country has faced in generations. There is a realization that things are going to get worse. But that should not be grounds for panic. Like the pandemic itself, the sense of urgency and alarm has been contagious. That may be the best weapon we have. In the Globe and Mail, Lindsay Finneran Jingra and Dennis Matthews argue that during the time of pandemic, we must also fight the infodemic. They write, In a crisis, accurate information from credible sources is key. Even information that is not intentionally misleading or malicious can pose a problem. Institutions must not only fight with sanitizer, but also for those precious few inches of screen space on your phones. Those who think we can fight back with press releases and podium statements will see themselves outgunned. Institutions must take the fight against misinformation to the place it lives, online. In McLean's, Paul Wells argues, in a week like this one, we can live without a pointless gathering with an impossible agenda. Wells writes, Remember when First Minister's meetings were full of drama? Now they have become an extension of the Prime Minister's Twitter feed. He tells people what he's doing, they are free to react, then they leave and he does some more of it. Why were they ever there? There will be bigger trouble for us all for a long time to come. But if the wise thing to do this month is to cancel non-essential travel, this meeting was well worth cancelling. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've already discussed, the First Minister's meeting was postponed and has been transformed now into a conference call because of the Prime Minister's self-isolation. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the meeting has also taken on a reduced agenda. Mark, the First Minister's meeting was supposed to be wide-ranging and dealing with issues like Western alienation, the difficulties of the resource economy, and Alberta's desire for a rebalancing of equalization. Add to that a real pent-up desire from the provinces to talk about health transfers. But as it turns out, today on the conference call, all the First Ministers talk, will talk about is the specific focus of the government's, all governments, uh, attack on the coronavirus. Top of the list, no doubt, will be the $500 million that Ottawa announced this week as part of its $1 billion immediate aid package. That $500 million is earmarked for the provinces and territories' healthcare systems to help them deal with immediate shortages, deficits, and lack of equipment and other resources in their battle with the pandemic. Now, without a doubt, that discussion, though, will overflow into the larger debate and demands from the provinces and territories for more generous transfer payments. And without doubt, that discussion will probably also overflow into a discussion of the economic impacts of the virus. Mark, the interesting thing is that Ottawa has made it clear that there will be more to come, and the Trudeau government knows it in terms of economic stimulus to help deal with both the coronavirus and the economic downturn it's causing. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be in private meetings, and the Parliamentary Budget Officer will post a new report online estimating the impacts of last month's rail disruption. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, March the 13th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.